Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. This is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, League 2 Grimsby and Harry Haddock make it through to the FA Cup quarterfinals for the first time in 84 years as they stun Southampton. We'll ask how big it is for the club. Sheffield United are also through. They knock out Premier League opposition in the shape of Tottenham Hotspur. What does that mean for Harry Kane's future? David Moyes says West Ham blew it at Manchester United. We'll analyse their defeat, but also talk about Manchester United trip to Liverpool in the Premier League this weekend and some massive games towards the bottom as Everton face Nottingham Forest and Leeds go to Chelsea. And we'll look ahead to the Conti Cup final in women's football as well. This is the game. Hello and welcome back to the game podcast. I am Hugh Wisencroft alongside Molly Hudson, Gregor Robertson and Jonathan Northcroft who joins us on his way in the back of a car Uh, to Manchester United, who are holding their press conference this morning after their victory in the FA Cup last night, which we will come to in a moment because Manchester United are used to being in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. It's not that big a story, but my word, Harry Haddock, you have delivered, my friend, because Grimsby, League Two, Grimsby Town, reached the FA Cup quarterfinals for the first time in 84 years. Penalties either side of halftime. Stunning the Premier League strugglers Southampton Grimsby are only the sixth team from the fourth tier or below to reach the last day of the FA Cup since the introduction of the division. And that was back in 1958. The first um, since National League side Lincoln City shot Premier League side Burnley in 2017. They're awarded with a trip to Brighton in the next round. Might quite fancy their chances in that game. Who knows? But Gregor, of course used to play for the club, wrote about them in the build-up to this game. Just how massive is this result for Grimsby Town? Huge. It was remarkable. Remarkable night. You know, nearly 4,500 fans made, the, made a 460-mile round trip on a, on a Wednesday night and they were they made an absolute din all <laughs> all, uh, all night and particularly when the goals went in and when they got the rub of the green with the VAR decisions and the the Southampton scored two goals that were chalked off for offside. They, you know, they rode their luck a little bit. They got the kind of a little bit of good fortune, but they showed so so much grit and guts and determination to defend the box and hold on to a two goal lead that they went into after, as I say, two penalties just a few minutes either side of half time. Both really, you know, one was a a handball that VAR took about five minutes uh, to 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 decide to send the referee over to the pitch side monitor for uh, and the second was just a bizarre moment by uh, Coletta Carr who swung his arm it's a little back slap and I think it was personally I think it was quite 
harsh on him, but it was it was a mad moment of madness. But Grimsby took it, and it was extraordinary. The fans, the the manager Paul Hurst, uh, they seemed in kind of disbelief afterwards. Paul Hurst said he thought they they could have lost ten nil. That was the kind of fear he had because if a Premier League club turns up. They should beat a league two side. 64 places separated them in the pyramid. It's just, will go down as one of the, the most uh, famous nights in, in Grimsby Town's history. And and after last season's promotion from the National League for the second time in the space of, what is it now, six years? You know, they're, they're a club that are on the up. They've had a takeover um, in in 2021 from by two, two local Local, bo- locally born uh, entrepreneurs who've who've decided to to put the money in the club and and use it as a a catalyst to to regenerate the area. They've got kind of big plans, and it's this is just going to be it's going to turbocharge their plans to their hopes of of using the club to to bring better times to Grimsby as a town. And as I said many times in print and on this podcast, there, I've never seen a club that. Is more important to its its area than Grimsby Town, and and we we saw a glimpse of that last night. Brilliant, Molly. Uh, Gavin Houlihan was the most relaxed person inside of that ground. Um, under high pressure for both of those penalties, you know he finished with a plum. He delivered, and um, yeah, it sent the crowd into raptures. They were absolutely delighted. And I hate to give it an early mention, but it was you know it was part of the magic of the FA Cup. It really was, and I think. When you watch the game, and, and obviously Gregor was there, but it, it did feel like Grimsby really embraced it rather than sort of worrying about what the scoreline could be. And I think part of that maybe plays into the fact that Southampton are almost perfect opponents, really, for, for an FA Cup shock at the moment because, you know, I, I was at Leeds the other night and they'd they got their first points under Javi Gracia playing against Southampton the other day. Obviously, they're, they're a team that are really struggling at the moment. I think, yes, there were sort of moments in the game which tilted it to Grimsby, but you, you can't take away from the fact that they took those moments. They, they, they took those big pressure moments. And I have to say, you talk about the magic of the FA Cup. It's a fantastic piece of commentary um, where where the, the commentator mentions the fish in the crowd, which I really enjoyed hearing this morning. And I feel like that's that's just classic FA Cup, isn't it? You don't see that at the FA, uh, you don't see that in the Premier League. And it was just a lot of fun and that, you know, they, they fully deserve to, to go through to the next round. And I think it's actually, ironically, we do talk a lot about Magic of the Cup, but I, f- I feel like it feels to me like it happens less and less now because... The gap is so big and the finances you're talking about are so big. I think it's kind of what the competition needs to have games like this where actually you do do the thing that seems like it's impossible. I mean, I'm not going to say cup draws are rigged, but you guys know, uh, you know, for the past several years, I've been banging on about what makes a quality draw in any cup competition. And it is, you know, you want that that divide closed. Now, I'm not saying Grimsby versus Southampton was one of those where you thought a shock was on the cards, but we saw... You know, elsewhere, championship sides, you know, maybe drawn against sides in the league below them. Again, the chance of a giant killing, but to a different degree. Or you maybe got championship sides against Premier League sides so far, as we we're going to talk about Sheffield United and the like going through Burnley, Blackburn beating a Premier League side. That is what a competition needs. So all of the fans that, you know, look for the cup draw and can't wait to see two Premier League sides drawn against each other. I, I just don't get that. Okay, this is not what cup football is about. Grimsby Town beating a Premier League side, what, 64 places above them, did you say, Gregor? 
That is what cup football is all about. I've enjoyed the draw so far this season. I like the draw for the quarterfinal as well. And uh, and look, you just hope there's more giant killings and a fairy tale story. Like that's what you want. I just want one day, you know, that non-league side or that League Two side, you know, going all the way to an FA Cup final. You know, the magic that is the magic that would be the magic of the FA Cup. And who knows, it might be Grimsby Town this season. Fantastic from them. Disastrous, Gregor from Southampton. Worst result of the season so far for them? Do you think it's going to suck even more life out of St. Mary's? Because, um, you know, that's that's the other thing about this result. It was in front of their home fans. It was off the back of a terrible result, if you like, um, because it was such a huge game against Leeds United. And, um, you know, any kind of, if you like, I want to mention it a few times, I think, on this podcast, but the idea of a new manager bounce or that new impetus uh, from Ruben Seller seems to be extinguished. Yeah, I mean, he, he named this the same starting eleven against Chelsea, which they won one nil, and and the Leeds game you referenced, which they lost one nil, and he made nine changes to his team for this game. And look, if you look across the 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 draw uh, over over this week, a lot of teams have, most teams have, in fact, made a, a large number of changes. And the team, the team that Southampton put out, still on paper. Is, it contains players that would start in the Premier League, no problem, and uh, were obviously good enough to beat uh, Grimsby. But they just they were they looked lethargic. They started not bad actually, and they you know Sekumara scored. Um, uh, I think in like after about twenty minutes, and it was called it was chalked off for offside. Gineppo made his run in behind to who played the assist just a fraction too early. So you know that could have changed the game. And then again at the end there was. A marginal offside decision against Theo Walcott, so they were slightly unfortunate, but they did they just didn't maintain. Sailor said after they weren't robust enough. When Grimsby Grimsby kind of weathered the early storm, they grew in confidence and they started to create the odd chance themselves, and they made it a bit of a battle. So Southampton were unable to respond to that. Only really when they they turned to their bench, they brought on Ward Prowse, they brought brought on uh, Joe Aribo, they brought on. Walcott as I said then they, they sh- you saw a bit of life but even then it's hard to really recall a, a, a clear cut chance that Southampton fashioned so awful night and as you say the, you know, there's a conversation about teams showing intent in cup competitions but Southampton's is even broader than that because they've got to build up a head of steam to and confidence to to have any chance of surviving in the Premier League and this is a, as you say a way of sucking the confidence and and the uh, sort of hope out of the out of the stadium and certainly out of the supporters of a roundly booed the players at full time as uh, Grimsby's players were serenaded and Harry Addicts were waved in there. Brilliant. There is a big game though up next for Southampton Molly in the Premier League. Um they, they take on Leicester. Leicester shocked in the cup as well. They were beaten two one at home by Blackburn. Um and two sides that you know well, Southampton far more devoid of confidence, but I think uh, Leicester City's maybe inconsistency and under-deliverance so far in the Premier League this season means they aren't really as confident a side as we've seen them in seasons gone by. Um, and you, you almost feel like it will be this weekend in the Premier League, just to, just to look ahead to the league a little bit. This is going to be almost a must-win game for Southampton. When you saw this Grimsby result, I think a lot of people saw the Grimsby result and thought, that's it, they're getting relegated, even though it was a cup match. 
because you thought, look, Southampton can't, you know, they, they can't perform. They can't muster a victory against a side in League Two at home. You know, what bigger opportunities do you need? And, and again, you know, if it hasn't sucked the life out of their fan base, I think a lot of people looking on now are, are almost becoming resigned to Southampton being a championship side next season. Do you see anywhere they uh, are going to have a spark, are going to turn around at the moment? I think this will be a really interesting game because I'm just looking at the table and Leicester, Leicester City are in 14th and they're, they're kind of in that group of teams where you sort of think one win, especially against a team that are down there in the relegation zone and you've got like so much more breathing space because at the moment they're only one win from the, well, one defeat from the relegation zone. Leicester, they're three points clear. And if Southampton can get that win, they're on equal footing with Everton and, and Bournemouth. And I think, for that reason, it's almost more important now when you see the state of the table. But I think what, what I thought last night watching Southampton was, I know we've spoken a lot on this podcast and it's it's something Nathan Jones spoke a lot about when he when he was manager at Southampton. There's a, there's a lot of inexperience in that team. And I think there's a lot of talent. And for me, Sekumar has been really exciting when you watch him play. But is he the kind of player that, you rely on the relegation battle. And I don't think Southampton have that many of those. And I think that's where they're going to struggle. Kind of when the chips are down, who's that player that's that's going to drag your teammates and everyone around you to get the best out of you. And I'm not sure Southampton have that. And you need such a strong mentality when, as you say, you know, the, the, the fans are sort of giving up hope a bit. It's been very negative there. Um, I, I did a couple of games there a couple of months ago and it, it, it's, it's been the same now for quite some time. So I think it's hard to look past Leicester just because the mood around the club, even though it's not fantastic, it's not as bad as Southampton. And I think it looked as though the change of manager for Southampton, it was going to give that little bit of a bounce and I'm sure we'll go into it later. But what we've seen is that you might get a small bounce, but when you bring a new manager in in the same way that Everton have, when there's sort of deeper issues, it's not always as simple as just changing the manager. And I think what Southampton have done wrong in terms of their transfer business and the makeup of that squad, with a lot of talent, don't get me wrong, it's not suited to a relegation battle. And I think that's where they're struggling. So I think for me, it's hard to look past Leicester winning that game but on the other hand if you actually look at that Southampton team on paper there's so many of those young attacking players that can do something they can do something in a moment they can score they can pull off an outrageous bit of skill it's just whether they feel at the moment as if that confidence is there and that ability as a young player to feel as though they can step up in those moments because we know when you're in a relegation battle, having talent isn't enough. It's A lot of it is about that mental side, the confidence around the club, everything around them. And I think Nathan, Nathan Jones did mention that, that if you actually want players to thrive and you want them to, to kind of be a longer term project for the club, which is what a lot of them were signed to be, it's very, very difficult to then sort of throw them into a relegation battle where it's almost like every single game is a must win. And sadly, that's the situation that they find themselves in. I tend to agree with you, Molly. It's an incredibly difficult situation for them at the moment. And you're right, they're probably not set up for the battle that is ahead of them. Ruben Sellers will have to find something very, very quickly, as I say, against Leicester City at the weekend. 
Uh, and just a little bit of credit given to Blackburn Rovers, who put Leicester out of the FA Cup. Uh, but they've reached the quarterfinals for the first time since 2015. Tyrese Dolan, Sammy Smodic uh, with the goals. I mean, absolutely awful defending. I mean, especially Smodic's goal where he just bundled through about four players and put the ball in the back of the net. And it was just like, I'd love to say it was biggest kid on the playground stuff, but Smodic certainly isn't the biggest kid out on that playground. And he still managed to get himself through. But yeah, I mean, it's great for John Dahl Thomason and Blackburn Rovers, and maybe that can spur them on to a great finish and maybe towards, a, you know, the playoffs and promotion in the championship. Um, and who knows what they can do in the FA Cup, rolling back the years. But um, again, a really disappointing performance from Leicester City squad. And again, their fans basically saying, you know, in terms of strength in depth, in terms of the replacements, they just don't have that quality. And that is what has cost them over the last couple of seasons, particularly with um, the number of injuries that they've had at Leicester City. So another disappointing evening for Brendan Rodgers and his side. Okay, let's get back to the FA Cup, though. Move on to Sheffield United. Congratulations to them. Illaman and Jai with a, a typical goal, dribbling through a few, putting it into the bottom, bottom corner. Superb late winner. Championship side, stunning Tottenham Hotspur to make it through to the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. Of course, Sheffield United are second in the championship. Paul Heckingbottom, though, made eight changes because of a sickness bug in the team. And he still managed to be, you know, one of the top sides in the Premier League, whether we like it or not. So it is a huge missed opportunity for Spurs without a trophy, remember, for such a long time. Um, Half of the top six already missing in the FA Cup, of course. Um, And it's just likely to be another trophy list year. And you, you, Gregor, have to understand how the Spurs fans are feeling. It's, you know, one thing being knocked out to Chelsea as they have been pretty customarily over the years in the FA Cup. But Sheffield United, who've made eight changes, haven't played their first team, still beating you. You haven't scored a goal. Isn't good enough. I mean, are there any excuses for it? Sheffield United were were good and probably into a hard place to go. I know that this is this is uh, Spurs and there's a big gulf between the sides, but Sheffield United are flying really they're flying high, uh, second in the championship. You mentioned the changes, but there's still some players with real experience out there and uh in the form of Sharp and uh Basham, Robinson, uh Ben Osborne. And then they've added that with a you know, Andre Brooks, a eighteen year old Academy player, McAtee who's on loan from, from Manchester City. Really they're, you know, talented players, but as you say, there's still a massive gulf to Spurs and the the biggest thing is we spoke about team selection and and we we understand it's a balance. We understand they're fighting on several fronts, but the thing with Spurs is it always comes back when they go out the, these competitions to the fact that it's another year gone by where their chance of of uh, silverware is gone. And I think it would do the club no harm to to do their best to end that, you know, just to end that conversation, to end that. You know, get that monkey off their back because it's it's like it's part of Spurs' identity now, and it's not a part of your identity you want. So, look, I understand that that's not something that Antonio Conte or or Stellini would would be would have at the forefront of their mind. They they are trying to play a lot of games in a short space of time, but and the team again. Look, we're the front three of Moura, Rich, uh, Richarlison, and Son. And as you say, they didn't manage to score a goal. Richarlison blazed one over in the first half. That was a really good chance. 
Kane came on and sort of miscued a header wide, decent chance. But you've got to give the credit to uh, Sheffield United and Elman and Jai, whose dancing feet won the game for them in the end. He's he's a remarkable talent, and he'll be playing in the Premier League with or without Sheffield United next season. Sheffield United fans will desperately hope it's it's with them, and he showed again why he's. You know, along with probably Alex Scott, who who shone against Manchester City for Bristol City, probably the, they're the two most talented and coveted players in in the in the Championship outside the Premier League, and both of them showed why. Johnny, what do you think about another trophyless year for Tottenham Hotspur? Yes, we want to give credit to Sheffield United because um, they, they deserve their victory, but um, you know your feelings if you were a Spurs fan this morning can't be good. Yeah, look, if I was a Spurs fan, I'd be I'd be feeling pretty gloomy, uh, and and those gloomy feelings would be fairly familiar. And as Greg had noted, you know, there's been a conversation we've been having about Spurs all these years about the lack of trophies. That if you're a supporter of the club and one of my best mates, is you've sort of got a got a stomach. And and last night was another another night for the memes and the Arsenal fans to to make fun of them. But I, I'm finding it so difficult to know what to make of the position Spurs are in right now. Because on the one hand, you've got a sort of you know, disengaged Antonio Conte and that's not, not not his health problems, but that's that's just how he's been all season. Not sure if he's staying and you've got the Harry Kane situation. And they barely play well. You know, they, they've gone through most of the season with, I don't know how many really good Spurs performances have been, but I'm finding it difficult to remember and put it that way. Um, and yet... You know, the fourth in the league. And I think if you look at the fixtures coming up, and I wonder if this was part of the thought process of making six changes, you know, five of the next league games are out of are against relegation threatened teams. And there's an opportunity there for them to put points on the board at a time when Newcastle are faltering and, and Liverpool are scrambling. You know, they they've got a real chance to cement that 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 top four for themselves and they've got a winnable you know, Champions League tie, albeit that, that, that you know their goal down to AC Milan, but Milan clearly aren't a brilliant side, and, and Spurs would fancy themselves to come back. So, you know, for a team that's had a sort of air of gloom around them for for a while, on paper, it's actually going a lot better than that. And and as I say, I find it really difficult to know what to how to how to analyze Spurs at this particular point in time and on all sorts of fronts. Where are they going? Are they any good? Are they having a good season? I'm not quite sure. And I think, although I agree with you, Johnny, a lot of Spurs fans will now reflect on the future of Harry Kane. Um, it's almost natural that we do that because um, it, it feels like we're coming towards the end of the road. If they go out in the Champions League, they're just not going to win a trophy this season. And I think for a lot of Spurs fans, going out last night means they're not going to win a trophy this season because they don't think they're going to win the Champions League. Um, and so you're looking at now their record goal scorer who's finally reached that mark looking like we're coming towards the end of the road. Do you see it turning around? I don't know. I mean, look, I, I, this is another thing. Harry Kane's something I find hard to analyse because logic would say that this is the year that he leaves, but he's made little noises that he might not leave after all, that he might want to stay and get the statue and do the, the Steven Gerrard thing. Um, but if he does stay, it won't be because he thinks he's going to win lots and lots of trophies. You know, it's he'd be accepting that Spurs are Spurs. I hate to say it, but but this is this is this is where they are. 
I just mentioned the opportunity. Look, if they could put this good run together and get Conte's enthusiasm back and get deep into the Champions League, there is still the opportunity for this to be a decent season and one that might convince Harry Kane to stay a bit longer. I just suggest that they have to have to move fast on that and, and, and start getting some real momentum and playing a bit better and getting some real purpose back. And, and clearly last night does not help them at all. Uh, as, as we've been saying, it's another just another cloud, another sort of thing that adds to the Spurs in narrative. Indeed, it does. Um, well, still credit to Sheffield United after this game. And um, they do have a difficult run in the championship, especially going up against Middlesbrough, who are in good form. They do have a bit of a cushion, Sheffield United, but some difficult games away from home. And um, I think the FA Cup will be a welcome distraction for a club like that, um, which will hopefully spur them through at the closing stages of the what has been a pretty grueling season for them in the EFL. But um, credit to Paul Heckingbottom once again, even from the stands, proving that he is a, a quality manager and coach and deserved the opportunity that he was given at Sheffield United and, and looks like he could be leading them to automatic promotion as well. So we'll see how the season pans out for them and in the FA Cup as well. Elsewhere, Manchester United, well, they, they pretty much rode the wave of the Carabao Cup success at the weekend, leaving it very late to come back and beat West Ham United by three goals to one at Old Trafford. United, not really at their best. It was a change side. I think quality off the bench helped them get through. They'll host Fulham in the last eight. The West Ham boss, David Moyes, well, he looked a bit shell-shocked, to be honest. He looked like he couldn't find the answer to a riddle. In the end, he said, we had a great opportunity to go through tonight and we blew it in my eyes. Um, costly defensive errors, Molly, costing them. Yeah, and I think Paul Paul Hurst's intro kind of kind of summed this up. I thought it was fantastic when I read it this morning, talking about his darkest days at, at Manchester United. David Moyes would speak about the painful experiences of the 50-yard walk from the dugout to the tunnel at Old Trafford after a defeat how glum it essentially was in, in his period and and Paul kind of described how it is now under under Ten Hag and it does feel like things are changing, doesn't it? And I think you you do have to feel for David Moyes a bit. It, ha- it had to be him, didn't it? It had to be his side that were the victim to, to kind of a, a Manchester United that struggled for, for large bowls of this game. I think that's fair to say. I think Paul Paul mentions it. It almost felt at times as though it was the United of old under under previous managers where they have struggled. But I think the difference at the moment is there's such a positivity and there's a belief again. And I think you you see that when when a team gets into that habit of scoring late goals, and that's when the momentum's there. That's when the belief is there within the dressing room, within the team. The players coming off the bench to make a difference. And I think that's what you have at United at the moment. And I think, you know, again, it's been a difficult season for West Ham. United probably looked at that in a sense of, you know, if you can put a bit of pressure on, on West Ham at the end of a game, they're probably not the, the most confident side right now to, to be able to hold firm. Um, but I do just think it it kind of sums up where United are. They're riding on that wave of, of the Carabao Cup final, obviously, at the weekend, which, which of I guess... Of all the positivity that you get with a manager like Ten Hag, ultimately for a club like Manchester United, it's about winning trophies, right? And he's done that now. He's got that first one out of the way. And I think that not only does it bring a good a good feeling for the club, but it's like for Ten Hag, it must be like, right, 
relief to a sense. I've, I've ticked that off. Now I move on to the next one. And it just feels a lot like good things are happening there. And I guess you see that in a knockout game when your back's against the wall, when you're not playing that well, to come through a game like that, I think that sums up where United are at the moment. Yeah, you could throw all the all the cliches at Manchester United just now like about finding a way to win. West Ham had chances to, to extend the lead. You look, remember Fornals flashed one across the goal. Antonio went clear and De Gea made a really good save. So it could be different. There's, and there's another cliche they kind of they they made their own luck, like with Agard's little glancing header that you know an own goal ultimately got them back back on level terms. And then they were in the ascendancy and they find they're excellent building momentum just now. And they've also got match winners and Garnacho looks increasingly like that when. When he's called upon, he's 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 a difference maker. Fantastic finish, and yeah, look, Manchester United weren't great, and they had to, as you said, they had to call on Casemiro, they had to call on Rashford, uh, Varane, and Fred in the second half, and they got the stroke of luck. But the, that's the sign of of a, of a of a good team and a, and a and a fast improving team, a team that's kind of, as I say, building real real momentum and finding a way to to get through or to find three points or you know proceed to the next round of the competition Johnny do you um, understand why Moyes said we, you know we blew it essentially what do you make of David Moyes at West Ham United at the moment I was watching this in the pub my best mate's a West Ham fan the next table full of West Ham fans obviously I was in London and they weren't they weren't happy they, they felt that they had thrown the game away and they felt it was more about him than the players was that fair? Um, on what basis Hugh what, was, what did they think David Moyes did wrong. Basically, they were unhappy that he didn't go for a second goal. They were saying that the substitutions could have been more attacking. They felt West Ham United were on top, should have gone gone for the throat, basically. Yeah, I mean, that does sound a bit of pub analysis to me, to be honest, because I thought that they... I thought he did make attacking substitutions. I, 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 he, he does quite often um, try and protect the lead with his substitutions, but on this occasion, he put on Jared Bowen um, in a sort of further effort to... To stretch United and, and and get something from some of the counterattacks that West Ham were creating, and I I actually just thought this was uh, yes that Moyes is right. This was a case of, of of players on the pitch not taking their chances, particularly Antonio, who why he didn't square the ball um, when he when he was through on goal, I don't know. And, and that you felt watching that 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 was a moment of opening the door again for United. But I I, I do think that your your mates and, and West Ham fans have been harsh generally if they're saying that this team that West Ham should be entitled to or able to go to Old Trafford against probably the form team in the country apart from Arsenal who are you know just just having having so many sort of great nights at the moment and winning games if, if West Ham they should be able to go go to Old Trafford dominate the game and win it and and if they don't, it's a disaster, and it means the manager's rubbish. I I just think that's that, that's that's silly. They, West Ham played very well. They did actually dominate the first half. They did outplay Man United for parts, and they had opportunities, and they didn't take them. And ultimately, they were punished by a more talented and you know bigger football club, if you want to put it that way. And that's that's just that's just football, you know. That 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 isn't anything I think to do with the the, the manager in charge or anything like that. I, th- I think it's it's it maybe the difference between uh, a, a top team and a team that's not quite a top team and top players and players that aren't quite top players. 
Okay, last time I mentioned any of my mates in the pub. All right, that's official. Manchester United did get the victory, though. And they faced Liverpool. It's a big game for them in the Premier League this weekend. So I did want to reflect on Liverpool very quickly. Liverpool themselves in league action last night. They beat Wolves 2-0 at Anfield. They're six points from fourth. They've played a game less than Spurs, who currently hold that position. Although Newcastle in fifth are four points behind Spurs and have two games in hand. But with all of that being said, um, it still makes their home game Liverpool against Manchester United this weekend even bigger, really. And I wanted to talk about the Anfield effect because that is what Jurgen Klopp stressed after the victory against Wolves. He said, I thought Anfield proved a point again tonight. It was super, super enjoyable. It felt like a proper unit. We were all together and I love that. And I wonder, and I'll Johnny, I'll ask you this one. I'll ask you if you think the Anfield effect will be enough for Liverpool against the side that you just said was one of the most informed in the Premier League at the moment. Yeah, I'm not sure it'll be enough on Sunday because of how well United are playing and because of the fact that although Liverpool's results have picked up, they haven't, the performances aren't brilliant. It wasn't a brilliant performance last night from the half, the half an hour highlights I saw. It was better. What they have done is they've they've started to put clean sheets together and they've addressed that element that was very worrying for them a few weeks ago where they just seemed so easy to play through and so unlike a clock team. So there's a bit of intensity back. Um, there's a bit of stability back defensively. That's giving them a platform and uh, they are in a much better state. But I don't think they're anything like um, you know the Liverpool of last year, shall we say. But that bit... The Anfield effect and Klopp's words are really interesting. I, I think he's made a conscious decision, like a, almost a sort of PR campaign style decision in the last couple of weeks to to talk up unity as much as possible, to talk up the positives of of, of, of where Liverpool could go and, and try and look past the bad moment they've been in. I think it's been intelligent management, actually. It's been an example of a manager sort of rallying the wider public and not just the the team on the pitch. So I felt the remarks last night were part of that Klopp sort of ongoing campaign to 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 whip the excitement back up and keep getting one together, get that get that unity. And I, I, that came from quite a low place. You know, I think he was he was before the derby in in, in a fairly low moment, and has sort of regathered his energies. And I guess what's impressive is that 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 horrific sort of final. 60 minutes against Real Madrid hasn't actually knocked the momentum aside. You know, they, they, they were doing all right before that uh, and they've come back from that and started to put good results together again. Some definite positives for Liverpool from this. So, Konati back uh, alongside Van Dijk in defence. I think Klopp described Fabinho's performance as an old-school Fabinho performance, uh, which they need. And uh, the other is Diego Jota. He's like, he's, his surgeon run for Nunes has uh, disallowed what would have been an opening goal. Just watching that thing, we've not, we've not seen that for a long time. You know, obviously he's had injury troubles, and then he it was his quick, quick thinking and quick reaction to hook the ball back in for Van Dijk that they got the opening goal as well. So, I think a fit and firing Diego Jota as well. He kind of someone you almost forget about. He's been coming on in fits and starts of games, but he was he was a real force when he first joined Liverpool, and you know a few positive individual sort of upticks will have a big effect for this Liverpool side. I do think, just to go back as well, Gregor, to what Johnny said a few moments ago, I do think 
he has stressed all of the intangibles about Liverpool quite deliberately, Jurgen Klopp. And it's interesting, Johnny said it was a bit of a PR campaign, but he is. He's trying to harness everything about that football club that he feels is unique and different so that his players have something to cling on to that differentiates them from all of their opposition. And um, and I think it can work at a club like Liverpool, particularly when you're playing at home. And I, I found that very interesting and agree. Very good management from Jurgen Klopp, particularly when your side's not playing well. And as I say, I, I do think they will need the Anfield effect against Manchester United at the weekend. It wouldn't surprise me if Liverpool got a result on that basis. And he also said something that I, I picked up on um, it, within the last week or so, where he was basically asked about a massive comeback in the Premier League. And he was kind of saying, well, if any team can do it, it's us. Despite the fact his team hasn't played that well. If any team can come back, it's us. We have shown it um, over the last few seasons. And I thought that was good as well, because he's also harnessing something that doesn't currently exist and is also an intangible, which is the thought of us as a great side who can win things. And um, I just think if that projects itself into the players' minds, then um, then Liverpool will have the ability to go on a big run. And as a Manchester United fan, you still kind of think, even though we're on great form, you know, going away to Anfield, very, very tricky and should be a fantastic game this weekend, which we will, of course, react to on Monday. Because I think a win for Manchester United in that game would be absolutely massive. let's stay on Merseyside anyway and stay in the Premier League because Everton were beaten 4-0 at Arsenal. Very comfortable night for Mikel Arteta's side. Everton's next game is at Nottingham Forest and that looks like a big one for them as well because the matches after that are Brentford, Chelsea, Spurs and Manchester United. Gregor, very quickly, your reflections on the game at the Emirates. Arsenal very, very comfortable and um, I think as I read in the Times this morning, you know, sending a message that they're not really wavering in terms of that title race. Yeah, I mean, looks like Saka and, and Martinelli in, in particular were were irresistible. They they've scored seven of Arsenal's ten goals in, in the last four matches. And they're both in the double figures for the season now. Martinelli's on eleven, Saka ten. You know, both twenty one, both signed or agreed new long term deals. That's that, like you're looking at the future of this Arsenal team there and they they just continue to impress. So many positives. I mean, Zinchenko again. I'm just watching the, you know, the the extended highlights of this game. And with the, with the, the for Saka's opening goal, the he, he turns up in the sort of inside right midfield channel, <laughs> collects the ball from Ben White and sl- slips him through. And you know, he's coming over from left back to there. It's like his influence on Arsenal's play is is, is extraordinary. The way the way he step not just steps into midfield, but he drifts and he when he plays the ball, he'll follow it and he'll he's not scared to. You know, to roam the pitch. I think there's another game where you saw how seamlessly uh, Leandro Trossard has has fit in. He's got his assist for Odegaard. The way he's playing as almost a sort of false nine that allows Saka and Martinelli to to make runs in behind. Yeah, look, it was a massive win for for Arsenal. It's Everton and oh, you know, Deitch in particular has been a a bogey side for for Arsenal, and uh, and and it was a it was a you know, a commanding, resounding result. And, you know, I think 13 games to go. Arsenal still not not really showing signs of any major blip on the horizon. Uh, it's going to take a, 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 an extraordinary run from from Manchester City to catch them now. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you, Gregor. It's, um, it's looking very, very difficult. 
Arsenal, I think their fans delighted by it. I don't know if they had some kind of PTSD from the the, the game at Goodison Park, but I always felt Arsenal would win this game quite comfortably. Johnny, Everton, can they go to Forest and win? Forest with only two defeats in the last eight Premier League games because Sean Dyche was seen as a, a safe pair of hands. And yes, they did beat Arsenal in his first game in charge at Goodison. But since that point in time, we haven't seen much improvement in this Everton side. And you're beginning to fear more and more with them in the relegation zone that he is not having the desired effect. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, they look a very limited football side. They've looked a limited football side all season from the point where, you know, towards the end of the last season, Frank Lampard, to survive, kind of reduced things back to basics and, and sort of concentrated on on being hard to beat. Now, of course, Frank couldn't actually really coach that, but but that's what I think what he tried to do. And it hasn't been a massive improvement. You know, they're, they're certainly more organised and, and their shape is tighter, they're... They're more focused on without the ball being compact and, and narrow in the middle of the pitch. But I, I look at them and think that they're, they're kind of hanging in. You know, Their strategy at the moment is to sort of hang in the game and then see what they can nick. But when are they going to nick things? You know, Mo, Mopay's been a dreadful signing, let's be honest. Calvert-Lewin's has gone off a cliff with his injury problems and so on. And the, the players who made a difference in that team over the last year... Anthony Gordon, you know, he's gone now. Damari Gray, who I think has been his most talented footballer they've got. And I'm not sure why he isn't starting, but but he doesn't seem to be a Sean Dyche player. You know, he came on last night, but, but he, you know, his, his importance has been removed. And then you've got injured Andros Townsend. So apart from that, it's all very workmanlike. Energy in midfield, yeah. Um, you know, sort of solid defenders, yeah, but... Who's going to score their goals? Who's going to create chances for them? And it's it's not enough anymore just to kind of hang in there. Uh, and 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 we've seen that from other teams at the bottom. It's just not enough. And I, I am very worried for Everton. I think Forest is a difficult proposition for them um, at the City Ground at the moment. And then if you look at the fixtures after that, you leave it to you. It starts to get very ropey. Yeah, very tough run ahead for Everton. And um, yeah, I'm at the moment, I'm quite doubtful that Sean Dyche will turn things around. Um, their attack just never really gets going in any match. You don't really see how they're going to score goals at this point in time, Everton. And um, they've conceded sloppily. So um, there hasn't been this Sean Dyche change that we would have expected, where you're just seeing a side who, you know, starts to get clean sheets. Uh, builds on that and, and um, you know, through the, if you like, fine margins in the game can nick you some goals by making themselves incredibly hard to beat. I just don't see this Everton side transforming into that hardworking beast that we sure saw at Burnley uh, under Sean Dyche. And um, I would be concerned if I was an Everton fan. I think they have to go to Forest and win at the weekend. Um, and Forest are a decent side. As I say, only two defeats in the last eight Premier League games. So it's, you know, you just don't really see how that result will, will come. And um, it could be a very difficult run for Everton that sacks, um, you know, any kind of confidence they have left out of them, you know, in the next four games. So next four or five games. So it's pretty important that they get something this weekend. Anyway, um, one other key game to reflect on this weekend, Leeds going to Chelsea, both sides in need of points. I wanted to talk about Leeds United most specifically, uh, Molly, you watched their game against Fulham. They lost in the FA Cup. They did beat Southampton last time out to win Javi Gracia's first match as boss and 
move out of the relegation zone. They'll have to use all of that this weekend, all of that positivity to go to Chelsea and get something. That being said, Southampton did it not too long ago. What do you want to see from Leeds this weekend? And what did you see from them in their defeat to Fulham that you think might be a positive to take into it? I was actually really impressed with with Leeds under Javi Garcia. Um, they played really well against Fulham. It was, I have to say, it was a fantastic FA Cup tie. Both teams just absolutely went for it. Um, Leeds actually had 16 shots and six on target. I mean, it, it, it got to a point where they just were never going to score. It was, just, it, you know, when it's just one of those games where it's just not going in the net. And in fact, it went in the net twice and was disallowed. One, which was very, very, very harsh, I felt. Um, just a, a classic little push from a corner um, that, that the referee ruled a, a goal out for, which I think, you know, there's certainly occasions I've seen a lot worse than that that hasn't been given. So I think there are, there are genuinely reasons to be positive for Leeds. I think that obviously we, we know Noncho is a, is, a, is a fantastic player. He was very bright again against Fulham. Um, it, it was quite interesting. It's the first time I'd seen um, Jorginho Rutter live. Um, I think he was Leeds' record signing when he came in, came in in January. And it, he sort of summed up Leeds' problems against Fulham. He just could not score. And there, 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 was, there was a moment he had a looping header that looked like it was like bound for, for top bins. It was going to go in. It was going to break his duck and... It was going to turn the game for Leeds, and then it just hit the post and 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 got cleared away. And that's exactly what it was like. And I, it'll be quite interesting to see you 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 mentioned there about Everton and and where their goals might come from. I think Leeds really need Rutter to get off the mark, and I think he did show quite a lot of positivity. He got into the right areas, which we know we talk all the all the time about strikers. It's more worrying if they're not getting into the right areas, and he 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 was getting into the right areas. He's got pace. He looked quite strong. He just looked like somebody that really needed a goal. And I think going forward, that will that will be a big thing for Leeds because I actually think there was a huge amount of positivity in that game. I mean, both of Fulham's goals were were absolutely fantastic. If everyone if everyone hasn't seen them, would recommend going to watch them. Um, Jao Polinia and. Uh, ridiculous strike took the ball from Rocker in his sort of the first touch and his second touch 30 yards out curled it into the corner of the net it was it was fantastic and it was it was so unexpected because Marco Marco Silva his manager was was still complaining about a foul in the build-up and didn't even see it uh it sort of summed up just how quick it was how quick his his speed of thought was to to pick up the ball and then shoot so look as strange as it sounds, losing to Fulham at the moment isn't the worst thing in the world because they're playing really, really well. They're another side that are in form. I think before the weekend, only only Manchester United had, had got more points and so well cut than Fulham. So I, I actually think they won't feel too downhearted about that result and they can take positives from it because actually they, they played quite well. They certainly, they, they certainly played a lot better than those around them probably played uh, in this midweek. Film of little game changers, like game deciders, sorry. Palina is certainly not usually one of them. He's someone who snaps into tackles. The first bit was classic Palina, the second bit definitely was not, but it was a cracker of a goal. But Solomon is now, you know, that's his fourth consecutive uh, game scoring a goal, Three of the first three of which were, were off the bench. Um, and he got a start in 
and whipped in another absolute absolute beauty for the second. But Fulham have kind of, you know, they've been a team that we've we've praised, you know, to the hilt this season. But they they, they had forty percent of the ball in this game. Leeds dominated possession, had more chances, and yet Fulham still come away with a two 0 win. They did something similar at Brighton. They had you know an even smaller amount of possession, the closer to thirty percent, I think. And they went away. We went up the other end of the pitch, and at the end, and Solomon scored, scored the winner. So they're they're also kind of finding new ways of winning games, which is a very good sign for them uh, and augurs well between the, for for the rest of the season and their kind of unlikely hunt for European football. We just come back to it. Everyone, everyone thought that Fulham were were going to go down again this year because it's what the the pattern has been. And what they've done this season, what Marco Silva has, has, has done with this Fulham side, has been remarkable. So uh, I wouldn't be too critical of Leeds in this game. I think, as Molly said, they they created a lot of chances. They came agonisingly close to, to breaking the deadlock on a couple of occasions. And Fulham have players in their ranks who can win games with with a moment of, of inspiration. Uh, just to come back to João Felinha, you know, you say he's not a match winner, but honestly, when you watch Fulham, the amount of attacks uh, from the opposition that he breaks up, that he's in the middle of winning the ball back, might even just be a niggly foul and stuff like that. And you think without him, they'd be far more exposed. He is so solid in the middle of the pitch. And if he were, you know, and he scored a fantastic goal, I'm not going to take away from him that he's a very good footballer, but if he was a great passer of the ball, if you like, if he had maybe more of those attacking instincts, you wouldn't imagine he'd be playing for Fulham right now. You know, he would be playing for one of the top clubs in the Premier League. And he certainly has that potential and he's made a great start to life in English football. Um, But Johnny, I did want to ask you very quickly, um, uh, look, this is a grudge match, if you like, two sets of fans that um, have had a rivalry over the years, Chelsea against Leeds United. Can, I mean, again, every single episode of the Game Podcast, this question is going to be asked, but um, is it a must win for Graham Potter? At taking on Leeds United at home. He's got to show something now. It's a grudge match. It's all Ken Bates, Starby, isn't it? And um, I think it is a horrible phrase, must win. Um, I, but without being hyperbolic or, or cliched, I think that is now true of Graham Potter and where he is with with Chelsea. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm among the Graham Potter fans of his body of work and, and him as a person. But I wouldn't pretend it's been a, a tour de force so far. I wouldn't pretend it's going well. Uh, at at Chelsea, and he's not really pretending either. Um, there's so much talent there, and and that's that that that's struck me even against Spurs when, for the first half, they weren't blowing, but they were very much in the game. And you watch it. Oh wow, there's Joe Felix on the ball. Oh, Brian Sterling's doing something good. There's Kai Havertz. You, you know what I mean, there's so much talent there, but he is in a is in a position where he hasn't he hasn't found the blend yet uh, I'd suggest that you could look at Steve Cooper and the job he did at Notts Forest early in the season where he had a whole load of new players dumped on his plate and I think he did a more convincing job of, of quickly establishing his five or six key players who are going to play every week and this is the structure this is the purpose this is how we're going to go about breaking down games and I haven't quite seen that from from Potter yet he's been more indecisive I think than, than Steve Cooper was in a similar situation under a lot more pressure because this is Chelsea and the money's off a completely different scale so it has to start happening fast and we've said that before haven't we but but you know there is now a, a change to the music around the club 
and it has to start happening really, really fast for him. And then going into a very important Champions League week as well, which could also decide his future. Okay, Johnny, appreciate that. I know you're on your way uh, to hear Eric Ten Hag speak, but thank you for joining us on the Game Podcast. Really appreciate it. Okay, not long to go on the game. Molly Hudson, I do want to look ahead to a massive game this weekend. Another trophy will be handed out. It's the Continental Cup final. Two sides going head-to-head who, of course, have had a rivalry over the last year or so. The best two teams in the country last year, Chelsea and Arsenal in the final this time around. So it's a big clash. Arsenal haven't won a trophy since 2019, beaten 2-0 in the FA Cup by Chelsea last week as well. Um, so maybe something for Arsenal to do in terms of, of turning around that rivalry this weekend. How do you see it going? I think it really is going to be a test of of mentality as much as anything else. I think, you know, with Chelsea and Arsenal, you know that they've got some of the, the very best squads in in world women's football, let alone let alone English women's football. But I think with Arsenal there has there has been this sort of block since the twenty nineteen season. It's it's crazy that a club of that stature, the the most successful ever in, in English women's football history, haven't won a trophy since twenty nineteen. And I think there is growing pressure on them to to win one. And and for Jonas Eidevel as well, there was a lot of promise last season. Um, when he came in, actually actually beat Chelsea at, at the Emirates. Um, there was a huge amount of positivity of what he could bring, how he could change things for Arsenal. But ultimately, it's Chelsea that keep walking away with the trophies. And I think, look, there's there's been areas where Arsenal have clearly made mistakes. I think it's quite clear that they, they had a pretty poor January transfer window. I think there's a there was a very clear area where they needed to bolster, which was with Beth Mead and Vivian Miedemar out having done their ACLs. Everyone could see that. And I th- I think it almost worked against them because, you know, if you're if you're selling a, a striker to Arsenal in that circumstance, you know you're gonna make them stronger. Um and ultimately Arsenal Arsenal didn't get any anyone in, um, having had a very public and protracted long um, kind of bid for Alessio Russo that didn't work out either. So I think I think since January, the momentum has really swung. I think go, probably going into the year, there was um, there was a real, this is a proper title race. All four of these trophies this season could go to Chelsea or Arsenal. That's how strong they both are. But since January, I think it's really swung away from Arsenal. And I think for that reason, Chelsea will be There'll be massive favourites going into this game. Obviously, they also they also beat Arsenal um, 2-0 at the weekend in the FA Cup. And again, that completely summed up the, the problems with, with the two teams. You know, Arsenal had a lot of chances. Seeing the Black Stenius, their, their, their misfiring striker, had a lot of chances, couldn't score. And then Chelsea did what Chelsea do and Sam Kerr scored and, uh, and won the game. So I think that the, the biggest thing for Arsenal will be to try and somehow change that dynamic to to stop that happening again this weekend. And one player we're all keeping an eye on, and um, uh, we haven't spoken since the Arnold Clark Cup, Molly, um, but we should have, of course we should have. Um, England retaining their trophy, topping the, the group with South Korea, Italy and Belgium in. Uh, but a player who seems to get better and better, who caught everyone's eye, was Lauren James of Chelsea who, you know, almost announced her arrival as a superstar. Chelsea have improved her so much in such a short space of time, it seems. And we're looking at a player 
And we're looking at a different dynamic, I think, if you look at the forward line in Serena Wiegmann's side as well. You know, you, you think there is quality there, but it's totally different to when we won the Euros last summer. As we look ahead to the World Cup, but you still feel such a high level of confidence that England have gone just leaps and bounds under her her coaching. Um, and Lauren James could be a star this year and really, you know, become a household name at the World Cup. I think it's it's almost, it epitomises how good Lauren James has been that what we saw last summer at the Euros was a starting eleven for every single game and it was exactly the same. And it showed Serena Wiegmann has the players she trusts the players she thinks are her players, the ones she calls upon in those big games. For me, over the course of those three friendlies against pretty low-ranked opposition, yes, we were expected to win the games. Lauren James went from a squad player to somebody that can be a starter. That's that's how good she was. And I think, you know, I spoke to Magda Eriksson this this week and the the Chelsea captain, she, she said that Lauren James is in a league of her own at the moment. And I think that's that really is exactly what it is. And we've always seen she's had the talent. She's always had that star quality. She always makes football look frighteningly easy at times. But I think at Manchester United, the setup wasn't quite right there back then when she was there to get the best out of her physically and mentally. And I think that's what's changed since she's come to Chelsea. She had more or less a year where she wasn't really playing because Chelsea was so adamant that they got everything right around her away from the pitch to make sure that when she did come back, she wasn't getting stunted with injuries every couple of weeks because that's what we, what we saw with her. And, you know, we, we see it with Reese as well at, at Chelsea Men. They are quite injury-prone players, um, unfortunately. But Chelsea seem to have got it right now with Lauren. And I think that's really where they're bearing the fruits of that hard work because she's just... And she, she really is getting better with every game. It's like... When you move to a club like Chelsea, you're surrounded by stars and it's the same at England level. And it was, it was well, we know Lauren James is talented, but can she look as good as she does now in a team that's so much better? And the answer is yes. It's like the better team she plays for, she just, her level just rises. And she, at, at times it's embarrassing. She, she, she puts players on the floor like they're not there. She's stronger than them. She's quicker than them. Uh, I was I was speaking to to um, the West Ham defender Kate Longhurst this week, and she was saying when when you play her, she she just bullies you off the ball, and it's like you don't know how to defend against her because that's how good she is. Uh, there was a quote that surfaced from from Reese a couple of months ago, I think it was, saying that hands down Lauren James is the most talented player in the world in women's football, and we all thought, yeah, you're saying that because it's your sister, but you know what? She she's not far off at the moment with the way that she's playing. And I wouldn't disagree. Okay, Molly Hudson, appreciate it. Gregor Robertson uh, and Jonathan Northcroft, thank you all for joining me. Uh, we will react, I think, to the big match in women's football and the big games in the Premier League as well on Monday when you see us. So uh, Arsenal and Chelsea in that Conti Cup final is definitely one to watch out for. Is that Selhurst Park? You can probably still get yourself a ticket. I think they've sold about 20,000 of them already. So uh, should be packed out for that one. Okay, all right. Thank you very much for being with us. Uh, remember, if you want to get more episodes of the game, hit the notification button, the little bell. You will not miss an episode as soon as it's released. We'll let you know about it. Of course, make sure you check out the game each and every Monday in the Times newspaper. You can also subscribe online. It's thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. And you can always download the app. Get on there every single day for the best of our journalism across sport and news as well. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you on Monday.